Yo. Yo, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm so sorry. My headphones actually just ran out of battery because I just had to take another call. So I That's might okay. have to freestyle it. That's okay. You, it actually sounds pretty clear. Cool, cool, cool. I'm in a very empty room. So hopefully that makes it better. Are, are you in London right now? I am in London right now. You're like a, a globetrotter. I feel like, like when I see <laughs> on like social media, you're like everywhere. It's like, it's like New York, Hong Kong, London. I mean, like that was always originally the thing and how like the branding for Nomadic ID came, how Nomadic, the nickname Nomadic Mars came. But I, I also thought, how would it change in COVID? Because mm -hmm. like uh, originally, like I was stuck in New York for like six seven months and then i just decided fuck it i i kind of have to leave at this point because mm -hmm. there was just one point where it, it was like end of june and i was like uh it it's just not the most optimal environment anymore and um i have dual citizenship so i i have um an italian passport i have chinese residency as well so i can just go back to hong kong as well wow so that's why i came back here for now i think it was a good move where are you right now? Uh, we're in, in Westchester. So we're like an hour and a the half. Upstate, right? Yeah, we're an hour and a half north of, of the city. And then next Tuesday, we're going to Boulder. That's awesome. Wait, like yeah. permanent, permanent. I mean, we'll see. Right now, it's like a three-month commitment. You know, APECO, it used to be Boulder Movement Collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my friend Matt owns it, and he, you know, asked if oh, I come out so and teach. So I'll go out there and I'll teach for you know at least a three month commitment, and then after that, we'll see what happens. You know, I think that's going to be phenomenal. I actually always wanted to go to Boulder, so that's awesome. Oh, you've I'll never been? You oh, no, ne I've never been. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's like it'll be worth the trip. I'll come visit you guys for sure. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you though. I mean, we have a little bit of freedom. We both, my wife, Alexa, Alexa, you've met Alexa. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah. that was the funny part. I came to like visit you. I met Alexa that day. I was like, where is he? He's in Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we both have Canadian passports. So there's also right. always been this talk like, Oh, well we could go to Canada or we could like, you know, it, it also gives you a little more freedom to like travel around, especially the way things are right now. I've also found there's a lot of loopholes yeah. like to actually get around right now. Like even if you're, even if let's say someone doesn't have dual citizenship, like if you look into, it's not necessarily, I wouldn't say like manipulate the loophole in order to like just go party and stuff. But I think in order to live the best standard of life that you can in this moment where like we're all in pandemic, but to also do it thoughtfully. Because mm -hmm. my partner and I were kind of trying to we're only trying to go to countries mainly that have lower numbers. We're not trying to go somewhere like, oh, that's just fun. Let's go there. It right. doesn't really work that way. Then I think right. we're just like impacting it more. But I think a lot of people could like increase their quality of life in a good yeah. way as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it's happened, but I've seen people who I know are just like American citizens and all of a sudden they're like posting photos in Europe and stuff. I'm like, how did you get there? It's been quite interesting just like reading the travel restrictions and like how also like how fast it changes like in like i i was just in ireland the last couple of weeks and all of a sudden just on the day that i left they imposed new restrictions so mm -hmm. it meant that 
there's basically like five different levels in Ireland, but like it went to level three, which pretty much meant like all gyms were closed all over again and people just got back to a normal standard of living. Mm -hmm. But then certain places is only like certain counties. So Mm -hmm. rather than like, instead of saying like, let's say whole, all of New York was in lockdown, it would be like Brooklyn is in lockdown. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's Yeah, so it it was just really interesting. I was like, okay. And then, and then London just like turned back a little bit, right? London seems fairly functional right now. Like, I think the main thing is it's just very basic stuff, like have face coverings and public transport and shops when you go shopping try and maintain two meters away from people whenever you can right everything otherwise seems to be running okay because i thought i I thought i read somewhere that london was like you know initiating some more like lockdown measures or something i think they might contemplate it but i think it's just like there's like a group of people who just don't care who just go to like all these underground raves or like they have social gatherings in really large numbers that are overall those are the people affecting the numbers right i think everywhere else if you could do like a breakdown of like uh different like bars and neighborhoods in london it's it's actually pretty good yeah i mean listen like i mean it just shows that like if people respect that they're here with one another and it's not just like flying solo then people (laughs) take the necessary precautions you know I think honestly, like that even bridges into like, just like in, in general human behavior and even how we can view movement in that way, you know, like if you think in a particular line of thoughts, then it's just going to have its own repercussions in that way, you know? Right. It's like, it's, it, it, it's really fascinating that like the world has never been more like interconnected, but at least the mindset has grown into like hyper individual right? It's like, we're like more connected than ever, but somehow like more isolated than ever. I I find it actually really interesting because just even walking around London, there's signs everywhere that tells you to um, mind your space. And I I think like culturally British people, they don't like to like uh, make eye contact. Like if you accidentally glance at someone when you're walking down the street, they already don't want to look at you. And now it's like, this is the most British thing that could have happened. You know, like, oh my God, I have to maintain two meters away from you. Great. Whereas like in America, I thought it's super different, Mm -hmm. but I think it also in in some ways it made me view space kind of differently. I'm just constantly seeing like a diameter of two meters or like roughly, you know, that amount of space between everyone. But it's also really interesting. Like in, in that way, how, how do we find new ways to communicate with each other or, I found it's actually so inspiring in this time. Like you said, this whole, this bubble of interconnectedness, yet we're not as close to each other as we used to be, but we're finding new ways to also create art, to maintain a certain way of living. I I really like enjoyed, for example, like how many dance teachers in New York that they're like world-class, world-famous, like house dancers, who would never ever dare to teach online. And they're all doing it now because we're just forced to adapt. And mm. the reach and accessibility that people have to them now, I think that's so beautiful, you know, like to be able to enjoy and share something that you love with everyone. I, I think honestly, there's a lot of good things to come from the pandemic and it's not necessarily 
always a bad thing. I think a lot of people view it so negatively. I Myself agree. too at times. But yeah, I think I think, I think what you're what you're talking about is is kind of like people finding the power of of being selfless, right? Like people yeah, like it's super selfish kind of existence for a lot of people, and then all of a sudden now you're forced in kind of a position where it's like you have to make a few more like selfless decisions and like, you're like, Oh, but that feels really good. Why does that feel so good to like be doing things that aren't for me? You know? I, I think it's such an interesting thing. Cause I, I realized during this time that, you know, it, it, it's a lot to do with our psychology, right? And it's a lot to do with the attachment to certain expectations and almost what's comfortable. Uh, obviously being in, so being outside of your comfort zone is not something that people usually always strive to be in. We talk about it a lot in fitness, like, oh, you should get out of your comfort zone. But like on a daily life sort of basis, like, I don't think most people are always striving to be outside of their comfort zone because it's difficult to create a consistent sort of daily routine and such. Mm-hmm. And I've even found myself like, trying to contemplate like, oh, this is a really uncomfortable time for me because I've had to kind of reassess what being an athlete is in this time Mm -hmm. because there's actually no competitions to strive for. So it's almost going more back to, I always talk about this a lot. Like I kind of personally split my identity into three different labels. So it's the the athlete, the artist and the teacher. Mm -hmm. So it's again, like I kind of was in this phase of my life, like, prior to 2020 and 2019, where I was more like in the artist phase and less actually of the athlete and a little bit more in the teacher phase. So I had two parts of me that were getting super fulfilled and the athlete part wasn't so much fulfilled. And this year I was actually trying to transition back into the athlete phase. And it actually was off to such a great beginning as I won the IBGF Europeans in Lisbon. I came back to the States for my Pan American training camp. And then it was literally the week of the tournament that New York went in lockdown and I was in so much denial. I was, I couldn't believe what was really happening. Mm-hmm. And it was just slowly, slowly, like I remember like the first two weeks of lockdown, how many people I reached out to, but I think a lot of people were doing exactly the same thing at that mm-hmm. time. Like everybody that I really enjoyed having a relationship with in movements or just like other things that I'm passionate about that weren't jujitsu, they were all like the first people I started talking to mm-hmm. and trying to see how do we mold a practice again, like in, in this current situation. Or like, yeah. I, I really find the new normal really tacky to say, but like everybody's saying it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think that people, and I've said this to a lot of people, like uh, the people who keep saying like something about like when, when things go back to normal or when they get back to the way they were. And it's just like, no, like that's not a thing. Like it'll be different than it is right now for sure. But whatever it was like, that's just like done. It's kind of like after nine 11, there was like life before nine 11. And then there was life after nine 11, you know, like is every day, regardless of the pandemic would have been different anyway. mm -hmm. It's just a matter of perception, right? It's just Mm -hmm. that this is more difficult and more of a drastic change mm-hmm. you know like I, I think even if we look back like uh roughly just just over a decade ago like the original SARS uh sort of thing that happened in Hong Kong and stuff but like, I remember like, I was still pretty young at mm-hmm. the time but I have memories and recollections of my family in Hong Kong they were all 
really used to wearing a mask all the time. And for many years, even in Hong Kong, every time I would visit, that was just the way of life that they learned how to adapt. You know, I, I think they were also really well equipped for this whole crisis. You know, mm-hmm. and as I see how life is continuing in Hong Kong and China right now, like they've actually managed to adapt and their numbers are almost like zero almost. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible like how it's actually proliferated around the world right now. It's interesting again like bring it back a little bit to like like the idea of like interconnectedness like and and I've listen I have not spent any time in like Hong Kong or in China or anything but just from like reading and things like that like this idea of like you know like western and eastern mindsets and stuff and like Yeah you know, the the Western mindset is, it feels a little bit more like the individual mindset. And like in, in the East, it feels like there's a little bit more of like a, a an understanding of like the interconnectedness of like, not just people, but all things. And right. there's a little bit more of like a respect for that. I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think it's also interesting because like I grew up in the UK. Mm-hmm. My father's Italian <laughs> and my mother's from Hong Kong, right? So like, I, I grew up in this, these blend of cultures, so I don't actually know what to accept as a normal. I just kind of have to embrace it all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's also, again, really interesting having traveled during this time too. So I, I think people are very sensitive around this topic and I'm trying to do it in the most intentional and safe way possible to like reduce my impact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to see the attitudes of like how people do go out or like do they respect the mask? Do they respect how it may impact other people if they don't wear the mask? Because I hear so many variety of opinions during this time, but I also see a lot of people in like uh, fitness establishments because I've managed to go to quite a few gyms in different countries so far. They seem very respectful of like this might get taken away from me. Like, let me actually mm-hmm. clean up after myself. I see everyone be very mindful of actually cleaning up the equipment after they use it. I've just never seen that before. You know, I've been in so many gyms, but it's so nice to see people actually value like, oh my God, this is so great that we have this back right now. Let me take care of it. I'm going to oh, take right. care of it. Yeah. Like, a, like an appreciation, like, a, like once something's been gone, you're like, oh, I know what this means now. Absolutely. I mean, especially I, I going a little bit more on a tangent, but back to jujitsu, like that being a partner sport and the concept of social distancing <laughs> mm-hmm. to engage in a partner sport is almost like, what are you doing? You mm-hmm. can't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of dance studios reopen and it's still at times quite a solitary activity. You don't necessarily need to be in constant contact with a partner. But I, I think I really cherished having jujitsu back even in like very, very little forms, even though it hasn't really gone back to what I would say was like the same as my training in February, which was very unrestricted. But even now, like anyone that I come into contact with, I, I generally think I'm very grateful like to have anyone to train with, but I'm extremely much more grateful than before, even to have a space so so how so how are you approaching jujitsu? Like how how are you kind of putting together that part of your practice in terms of who you practice with? Do you have like a pod? Like what does that look like? 
So in, in different countries, there's obviously different regulations and stuff. Um, it's, I, I would say most gyms currently have re more regulations due to, um, sorry, surrounding the idea of what is the total number of people in the room. So like what's the total capacity of mm -hmm. the room so that they don't go over certain numbers. Because of course, once you, once you kind of accept, okay, I have to be in contact with other people, it's more like, okay, how many people do you actually want to expose yourself to? I think generally what I've seen so far, it's like gatherings of like six people to a pod. Mm -hmm. So you'll start lettering each pod. So you have like A, B, C, D, E, kind of like that. And you might even alternate days. Like I've seen certain gyms that I've been with that um, you can only come Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or you can only come in the morning time. Mm -hmm. This is like there's an evening pod crew, the morning pod crew, and then you can only train with the people within your pod. You cannot mix with the other pods, stuff like that. Yeah, when so I talked, that's when I, I'm sorry, I was going to say when I um I talked to Paul Schreiner, you know Paul from Marcello's. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was talking. Yeah, he was talking about how it kind of excited him this idea of like the pod for a little while, because it would be more like a fi a family dynamic, right? Where it's like in the family, right. there's like brother, sister, cousins, and like, that's the pod. And those are the people who kind of like, you know, play with each other and antagonize each other. And people, <laughs> people, people like learn each other's games, you know? So there's a, there's a familiarity within the, the pod that, that, you know, people can exploit. And there's the benefit of like having that intimate group of people that you're Absolutely. just working with, as opposed to like having your game and you just get to move throughout the room and keep like, playing your game with people who don't know your game. I, I think there's a lot of beauty to be found in that, depending on how you can also control the environment. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've had a lot of experience of teaching in Asia. And when I was teaching specifically in Hong Kong, my class numbers were very intimate in that way that it almost felt very pod-like because the numbers of the class would never exceed 10. Mm -hmm. And most of the time I would say they were mainly around six or seven so fairly similar to the current situation and because of that i actually felt like the pod got very intimate in mm. terms of like they knew each other's games but we could really also enhance the way of uh, developing each other so I, I think sometimes also because i was the main teacher as well i could really influence like okay you can develop this 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 everyone just got more attention and i think in a way, in the pod situation, it's a little bit more self-directed, but I think being able to give your pods that much feedback and bounce between each other, I actually think that can really enhance the way that we develop our learning. And honestly, I think that would make a class structure much more interesting rather than mm -hmm. having like one teacher to 30 people where it's very difficult to also, how can you have like an hour class or 90 minute class and you have 30 people to go around to? It's not going to be really extensive feedback, but mm -hmm. we can learn how to direct ourselves. It's like, okay, this is the theme for the class or this is the prompt for the class. I'm going to work off of it. Like you can maybe have the most senior member in that pod kind of like direct or give a little bit more feedback or like we also inform one another how to give each other better feedback. I think it's that, possibilities are endless uh, but I, I think again going back to the Hong Kong thing I, I think everyone really enjoyed it in that more intimate uh, environment because you 
I think everyone also just enjoys like when that growth is accelerated. You know, I think a pod can actually really accelerate mushroom growth. Mm-hmm. It's a capitalist pod in a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think of the days where like, you know, especially like somewhere like Marcella's where it's like a big class, like 70 people and they put you in a group of like three or four and it's kind of like, it, it, you're kind of like rotating in and out playing a game, whatever, right. you know, someone taps, someone else moves in, whatever, however it goes. But you're spending like, 45 minutes with the same three or four people, there's a lot of information you're receiving, like that you're giving and you're getting back. <clears throat> and I think that there's, there is something about like a, a long-term process there. I, I mean, I don't know what your views are like on learning in jujitsu, but I, I really enjoyed that intimate environment. Uh, even maybe not so much in the jujitsu sense, but even like, and dance or like trying to learn new pathways and stuff like i think being in the same pod where you keep cycling through the same people it really enhances your ability to recognize certain patterns Mm -hmm. so then you can also play with your pattern recognition Mm -hmm. and it just becomes a much more interesting game like does he recognize when i break this pattern now yeah and yeah really really builds on so, so much more than just what you get when you're with somebody for just like five minutes at a time, right? Absolutely. It's, it's never enough time or data collection, you know, because how, how I see roles, like every role is about data collection. So how I interact with you on the first role, it could be very different from the second. So I want to expose you to as many different scenarios as possible. So I can kind of have a complete picture like, okay, this is Kyle's game. Mm-hmm. So when I do this, he does that. Or like, if I do this a second time, does this scenario also repeat itself you know mm-hmm. and it becomes like almost like uh a lot of people in jiu-jitsu like to make flow charts and stuff i just kind of like to visualize it instead but like mm-hmm. it, it becomes really easy to visualize that flow chart in my head and see oh okay now let's mm-hmm. break the pattern let's see what happens mm-hmm. or playing with more variables like just tempo timing yeah things and stuff. Well, i talked I talk to paul a little bit about this as well but i just think it's such an interesting thing where it's like people the way what you're describing is like, you know, more of like the sensory experience of jujitsu, where I think yeah. a lot of people get caught up in like the, the, the technical thing, the really like, you know, here's the system, here's the beginning and here's the end. And we try to like work through a system and there's something there as well. But um, I think people, you know, I remember being like in the, in the locker room, people coming in and talking about like, oh, I watched this YouTube video. I watched this, there's this technique, like that technique almost not, you know, sometimes feeling like the technique was more important than understanding like how to like be in your body in relationship to the floor and another body. Yeah. And, and like, that's to me, like where I was gaining the most information, you know? And I said to Paul, it's like oftentimes learning technique was just a vehicle for like the sensory experience. I 100% agree with that. I think, you know, you also have a very mixed modality practice, which I think does really help into tapping into more sensorial experiences. I do think, like, I like to use the term, like, movement vocabulary a lot. Like, there's a certain amount of movement vocabulary or technique that we do need to at least have in our repertoire in order to make a focus more on the sensory experience. I, I think it, it's more so what I would say with more novice practitioners that they feel like very driven towards like, okay, if something isn't working, it has to be 
something related to, to the technique. Maybe I'm not doing the technique great. Whereas it could be something as simple as the timing. If it's not the timing, okay, is it a connection to the hip? Rather than like, oh, is the foot positioning wrong? It's like, no, there wasn't enough uh, oppositional force between the upper body and the lower body. So you couldn't maintain the connection to the hip. Right. But it, it's very difficult because a lot of technique videos also don't describe things on that level, right? It's very choreography based, like mm -hmm. uh, left hand red, <laughs> right yeah. hand blue, you know? And that's also an area where I feel very passionate about. It's mainly around um, how we teach, how do we kind of like uh, inject concepts in a way that like it actually articulates to you how you should think mm -hmm. in the moves. I, I see it so many times and I've been to so many different world-class facilities. I, I find it sad that we're like, we're teaching everything move by move, step by step, which I think it's good on like a surface level, but it has to go beyond that. Because I, I think it's coming from um, a more traditional martial art view, because I also have a background prior to jujitsu, I was in Chinese martial arts. It's like, you should figure it out. If you keep training the move and you keep drilling it, you're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. If you don't train more, <laughs> right. you know, it's almost very Mr. Miyagi and uh, almost mystical in, in that way that, okay, I just keep sitting here in horse stance with the two cups of water in my hand. I'm going to figure something out. I'm going to have an epiphany. Mm -hmm. I think that way is great. I also have done it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think we also... Uh, in a modern society where many of us are very results driven. I, I'm not necessarily about we have to achieve this outcome now. It's very much so still about the process. Mm -hmm. But I still think if we can accelerate people's understanding of how to learn mm -hmm. or like how, how do I direct myself to understand that I should be breaking down the technique, not necessarily, okay, so mechanically that I put my hands here I put my hand there. I think it's very important to understand those underlying concepts. Mm -hmm. And I think, of course, you've also talked to Tom recently, Tom Wexler. Uh, I've always really appreciated his style of teaching and his emphasis on, uh, I can't say the word half the time, pedagogy. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it, it made me think, I'm like, wow. Like every time I go to his workshop, I understand that these concepts are very true to what I understand from jujitsu and from what I understand in Chinese martial arts or what I understand from like kendo and stuff. Mm -hmm. They, they all overlap mm -hmm. because we all have the same body. Mm -hmm. There's only so many things that we can do. There's only so many combinations of ways that we can move the arms and move the hips. Mm -hmm. And then that really made me realize this should be the focus because right. essentially this is really all movements as mm -hmm. cliche it may sound. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the more people I started teaching actually less from like a step-by-step -step thing and just overall trying to teach objectives. Cause I always say there's a movement objective in jujitsu mm -hmm. and a finishing objective. So obviously we're always aiming, okay, positionally we must advance. Mm -hmm. uh, finishing objective we have to get to some sort of submission or joint lock manipulation mm -hmm. i think that actually really helps people become individuals faster mm -hmm. in their learning mm -hmm. and less uh about they would, i think people should always still study videos but they would look at it with different eyes like mm -hmm. it refreshed right it's not always like it's it's not always like it wouldn't always be just like choreography eyes exactly 
you know, like, what, like, like, what, like, like, it's almost like developing some sort of like kinesthetic empathy, right? Where you can look at something and be like, well, what does that, what is that supposed to feel like? Absolutely. Or well, you start looking for different things, right? Because I, I think at the beginning when I started, but like, I was definitely trying to reenact it as closely as possible in the way that like you would watch a breakdancing video and you try and really reenact it and then you kind of fuck it up and then you try again then you start understanding the move a bit better again mm -hmm. that seems like the more mr miyagi way but i think it's more like that line of self-inquiry and how you question yourself say okay i messed it up this time but i did this better so mm -hmm. i can make it better in that way i i, I think that's missing a little bit from some uh practitioners or the way of thinking Having said that, though, I do think it's improving mm -hmm. all the time. Like, I, I think especially guys like um, the Henzo Gracie guys at Danaher's and like Rockland Giles and like guys like Paul. Like Paul's a phenomenal teacher. Like I, I think what he is able to articulate of certain jujitsu practitioners, like you could, it's so simple sometimes, and it just blows your mind. Like ah. Why didn't I think of that? I, I think those are the really aha moments that mm -hmm. the more you can hear that, I, I think again, like it will really um, enhance people's jujitsu learning experience. Yeah, it's so hard because it's like, you know, it, it's, you know, when you're like a customer, you expect some sort of result. And, and I think that that kind of clashes with some of these ideas of being like, eh, like, you're just going to kind of like have to like feel it. And I'm totally in that boat. Like that's like the way that I, I really see things more in that direction. It doesn't always need right. to be like a verbal experience. It doesn't need to be like, Hey, here's like your silver platter with all the things that you earned right on top of it. And I'm like telling you how to get there. Um, but I do realize like, especially like, you know, and you, you've seen it like in certain places where people feel like they're a customer they're like, well, I should, I want to see the exact thing that's supposed to happen right now. Um, but I've had this conversation with, a friend of mine, Chris Palmasano, who you might know from Marcelo's. Um, but he was, he and I were training a bit and he'd been training for like 12 years. And he, I remember him just saying, he's like, don't even worry about submissions right now. Learn how to hold somebody down. He's like, if you can learn how to hold somebody down, the submissions are very easy to learn. Things like that. These are this, like the language that he would show. And, you know, something like the idea of being like a wet blanket where you have the ability to like move between being like full and empty, unless you're given the opportunity to like learn this thing, this thing that is like, as you said, kind of like mystical. We're like, what do you mean being full and empty and like being a wet blanket? <laughs> but unless you're given those opportunities, like, like that's some of the, like the meaty stuff that's hard to like get your hands on by like strict technique. I think that, was the interesting thing for me actually going back to Tom's very briefly about the clean paper and mm -hmm. the prompts because this for me really emulated the idea almost of specific training. Mm -hmm. But the prompts are so specific in a way in my experience in his workshops that um, it really made me think, ah, like there's so many ways actually to change how we prescribe specific training. Like if really again, we forget about submissions momentarily and that is no longer the main objective. And we can really, okay, focus on now the movement objective or we can focus on controlling a person for a certain amount of time or we can focus on um, trying to exchange as many different positions as possible. Like how do I circle but not repeating, like if I wanted to go 
clockwise around someone's body and I couldn't, for example, if I wanted to continue transitioning, I couldn't retreat in a certain direction or does that mean, how do I get past that? So many things like that. And I think that really also, again, it just helps us understand the platform more fully because I think it's just such a vast movement platform. There's so many combinations of different moves like, within it unless you have the opportunities to practice in a more thoughtful way, I think it becomes really difficult to master it entirely or to become very complete with it. Especially for me being in a competitive environment where people are mainly focused on uh, refining what they're good at. You know, it's not about always working on what you're bad at. Like if you're really good at something, there's often a mentality at a lot of top gyms that you continue to only welcome that. It's not necessarily the mentality of my gym, but like I, I know this to be a fact that many gyms also just focus on that, always going hard. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that I, I really saw a lot from the movement community was like the idea of having a sustainable practice. Mm-hmm. And my desire as an athlete is also to keep my body relatively healthy, that I don't have to experience any major devastating injury so that mm. i keep my body healthy i can move any way that i want to inside and outside of jiu-jitsu because i don't just want to be able to move in jiu-jitsu mm. i want to leave practice and also be like happy and healthy and able to walk up a flight of stairs because that mm. was a wow man oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i was going up and down stairs I, i'm like i was like 22 23 at the time i'm like oh my god like i was feeling so much pressure in front of my kneecap. And I, I was like, this is not how I should be living. You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't believe in this stereotype that we have in jujitsu, mm-hmm. that you have to be a broken individual mm-hmm. in order to say, hey, I'm working hard. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think there's too much of that glamorization of the grind mentality still. Like, you, you must have been exposed to the phrase by now, everyday pohada. You mm-hmm. know, like, we shouldn't... It's good to train hard, but I think ultimately it's about your relationship with balance. Mm-hmm. And I don't think balance is a 50-50 thing. You well, you're, you're, you're also, you exist in like a, a kind of a unique space. Like when I think about it, like you kind of exist between like this world of like having a specialization, right? As a jujitsu athlete. And yeah. then you have this like generalist practice as yeah. like a supplementation to that. Um, so that's like, you know, some people kind of like feel like once they're in like the specialization, some sort of movement thing, like that's like where it all goes. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like your, your balancing act and like what, you know, what you're doing to supplement the jujitsu? Sure. I think it's, I'm always trying to evaluate like the, my relationship with, the mentality, like the, the fighting psychology side, because I, I think mainly as a competitor, it, it's once you understand how to move your body, shit isn't actually that difficult anymore. Like when you know enough techniques, because it's not like you have to know every technique, right? And I think on a technical level in jujitsu, I really know a lot. So when I mess up things, it's usually something based on execution which is usually more so around timing like Mm -hmm. uh like how was the tempo of that move like if i have to deconstruct a certain move in jujitsu was it the first part of the move that i fell so was it the setup like the initiation of the guard pull the initiation of the takedown 
did I um, mess up more so because my partner did a reaction and I didn't actually counter it mm. with a continuous enough uh, velocity or so, certain things like that. So I, I think it's more like the execution thing. I always think it's related to the timing issue. Another thing that I think is really closely linked to timing for me at least is um, fighting psychology and how much do you actually want it, you know? Because a lot of my philosophy is actually based around flow. And a lot of times, if I, if I think I'm exerting myself too much in jiu-jitsu, I'm actually not gonna pursue it because I actually think that I should be striving for the path of least resistance. I never like it when there's too much clash like this. I'm always looking for the way to kind of glide faster. I realized that that is actually a pitfall in my fighting experience because that is one method of fighting that can work but i think also that you should never become too biased to one type of fighting i, I do think that i have to also expose myself enough into the other side of it the more hard side of it again that i can have a more well-rounded fighting psychology i know i'm going on a tangent i'll get back there though <laughs> that's okay that's okay um so now that we understand that my personal focus in fighting is mainly based more around timing and fighting psychology, I think this is the reason why I can allow myself to actually go more into a generalist uh, space at the same time, because I, I think actually that does help phenomenally. That is how you actually understand a lot of the components of the moves, because you're kind of putting yourself into another environment where maybe, again, you're a white belt all over again, or let's say something even as uh, little as handstands that like really teaches you more about your body. And I, I think if you have a good ability to relate certain body movements back into a jiu-jitsu context, which I think I have quite a good ability to do so, but even in dancing, there were so many things that I transferred from dancing that I took back into fighting. And I think we've seen a lot of movement practices that really do try to integrate both together. Essentially, it is like, it's just movement, right? We've mm -hmm. seen like play fight and all of this. And I think it's, again, just understanding your relationship with the floor and also your relationship to the floor with another person, which is actually the main thing, mm -hmm. right? Because when we view dance, we see that our oh, dance is purposeless. Mm -hmm. When we look at fighting, we're like, okay, our purpose is to achieve this particular outcome. I think once you can keep relating to things like that, okay, I understand how to move in this space. Now I understand that this is my objective. I think you can really do any practice in a way and find something that you're able to transfer across. That's still training. Mm -hmm. That's also much more sustainable on many levels Again, we can argue that. I know a lot of people do handstands like every day and for like three hours every day and then they weren't ready for it or they didn't do enough risk preparation and they also get injured. But then again, I think that's just a relationship. Understanding your relationship with balance, whether you get hurt doing it and then later on you realize, okay, like that didn't work. I have to try again. Like let's kind of configure the balance a little bit better this time. Um, I would say mainly my practice on that side is more so of dance, contact improvisation. I have dawdled a bit in like handstands and some circus stuff too. Mm -hmm. But I think every time I go back to a different practice, I kind of try to see what are my uh, asymmetries, 
where mm-hmm. am I not balanced? Because I right. think by doing anything excessively, you start to favor certain body positions. Mm-hmm. It's like before, I think pre-movement me mm-hmm. had a lot of like um, asymmetry, a lot more asymmetry. It's not that I don't have them anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, I also felt stuck in positions, you know, like even like rolled shoulder forward syndrome. Because <laughs> right. like right. jiu-jitsu, you know, you're always like in that right. shell. Right, standard jujitsu. yeah. Yeah, and it was like, okay, that's helpful for this situation. But when I go back to my normal life, I still want to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And I still want to be able to do a spinal wave, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was a point, like I remember when I was like getting more... Uh, deeply embedded into the movement community that I couldn't do a spinal wave and that is mind-boggling to me you know it, it for me that is a basic movement pattern that anybody should be able to do you know and for someone who had been training so long you know in martial arts it almost felt shameful that I wasn't able to do it or that I had become so stuck in certain patterns so I, I really made it something to focus on that any movement practice that I engage myself in, I wanted to see, okay, if I have uh, some shortcoming in my hips or if I'm not able to execute some sort of acrobatic move, like what is it related to? Is it something to do with the physical capacity? Is it on a more technical uh, level? Mm-hmm. And just, again, it, if you think about how I'm talking, it's, it's all about asking myself questions. And how mm-hmm. do those questions inform me? And mm-hmm. I think, again, that also informs me better as a teacher because I'm able to think from the lens of the student. Mm-hmm. I think constantly ebbing and flowing between uh, the teacher and the student is something that's really important, I think, for anyone who enjoys being a teacher. So anyone who's a student who maybe doesn't want to be a teacher, like you have to teach yourself as well. Even mm-hmm. if you're not teaching other people, you have to inform yourself you right well i mean the, the the more tools you have to learn how you learn right the 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 better you're going to like move between different spaces right? absolutely like if, if you have keep implanting new tools on like how you can like gain information and i guess that's also like one of the big benefits of like exploring new spaces as well right like now you're being forced to like learn how you learn in the dance space and you're supposed, you're learning how you learn in like the hand balancing space, whatever they are. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then you, you go back to whatever your, maybe your specialty is like all of a sudden you have new learning tools and that's the stuff you can't explain. You can't just sit down and be like, Oh, well, let me show you how my shoulder mobility is improved. Um, <laughs> um, it's I the stuff that they'll be very disinterested. Like, Margo, you went off into that weird touch butt uh, scene again. What are you doing? <laughs> right, right. But 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 really, while you were like, I think really the meat is that like we're trying to expose ourselves to like new creative situations, and I really believe that creativity is a transferable skill. So we can go look work on creativity and whatever it could be sculpting, it could be painting, it could be dancing, whatever it is. The 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 exp- the creative experience is is the real meat of it that is highly transferable like the more we expose ourselves to like you know because creativity is just problem solving the more problem solving scenarios we put ourselves in (laughs) like the better problem solvers we're going to become you know and i and i don't know any other way to like break it down but like that's the thing you know 
I, I think that genuinely like questions and problem solving in order to also become more innovative if that is someone's desire, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's about exposing yourself to as many different situations possible, whether it's known or unknown. To see your ability to recall certain patterns and stuff, like all of those things will make you a better problem solver. If you're constantly going through the same patterns all the time, you're not necessarily becoming more creative. You know, it's difficult to become creative sometimes if you're always going through very finite patterns. And I think being in different spaces gave me different perspectives to also approach the same problems, which I think ultimately what is what also kept you kept jujitsu so fresh for me, because I, I think in a competitive space, it can become very boring and very repetitive mm -hmm. as much as like, it's always interesting fighting new people. Cause for me, the appeal of fighting new people are new problems and that allows me to become more creative. So if it was always the same problem, I just keep winning or losing or if I'm losing this, then there's always more things to solve, obviously. But like that was a while where I just kept winning most competitions without a lot of difficulty. So now it's actually more interesting that I'm actually facing a lot higher level competition that now it's like, oh, there's always a fresh problem of, okay, I can refine that. I could do better here. Your initiation could be faster here. Are you, your tempo was a bit off on that particular sequence. Like, what can we do to actually go ahead and define that? Like, there's so many things to actually now actually about refining in the way of, okay, I have to be more creative here because it wasn't, I wasn't failing. I wasn't fucking up on a technical level. There were, there are many different variables just based on things outside of technique that you can work on in jujitsu. I, I think that's, the massively interesting part because the problem solving here is so endless. And even when you win, it doesn't mean there's not problems to solve. You know, it's just constantly like there's more, there's more, there's more. And I, I think when you're always in the same space, you know, like if you're always in a jujitsu environment, you're kind of limited to the amount of lenses or the, the ways of thinking. I think what I really enjoyed about being in dance was even the articulation of language. Mm -hmm. The way they articulate, okay, how they break down the movement or how they talk about the ways forces interact, it just was much more appealing to me. Like the way that they delivered the information was much more palatable to me personally. And I, I think I wanted to take what I experienced in a lot of dance workshops and dance classrooms into jujitsu. And of course, it's not every dance classroom too. It's not every jujitsu classroom that is a little bit more like gray, but mm -hmm. I, I think every time that I had the pleasure of being exposed to different language or different perspective, I kind of gravitated more to that. I wanted to just kind of dig deeper. And that's been the beauty of being in the movement community a bit more like outside of jujitsu that it's just always fresh. There's more feedback. I, I, I always say that uh, the more information you have, the better predictions you can make. There's no real answers. There's just good predictions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're, do you use a lot of this as, a, as your approach to, to teaching? Because I have to imagine when you're teaching, it's not quite the same as like a competitive atmosphere. So you can be a little bit more experimental, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, I like to cater to who's in the room a little mm-hmm. bit too. So like, depending on whether I'm teaching a class or teaching a workshop, it's a little bit different in terms of like how I at least start the class or start the workshop. But I, I want to understand like, what is everyone's, what, what does everyone want to get mm-hmm. out of the session? In like, if we have a certain topic and it'd be obviously surrounding that topic. And of course, a competitor often wants something different from someone who's a hobbyist. If they are also more someone like embedded in a multidisciplinary practice, then I think they also want something different too. I think often what they ask is slightly different from someone who's purely um, a jujitsu guy or a jujitsu girl. Mm-hmm. So. I try to deliver a certain amount of choreography, but then I start layering it. So I I think it's essential that at every stage of trying to learn a move, there will always be a certain amount of emulation. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I think we cannot emulate forever. Otherwise we will not truly understand that we're just trying to be someone else. Mm-hmm. It's getting deep, I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Because this is something I this is something I care I care a lot about. So go go for it. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think on many levels, our practice can be related relatable on a very human level, right? We're not trying to be someone else. We're trying to make this our own. So you can emulate my move like me, but that's not how you might want to do it, or that's not exactly how you should do it. But by understanding, okay. This is step one, two, three, four, five. Now you try it, you can emulate it. Okay, next level, layer two. You start injecting more of the movement concepts or the underlying movement principles of like, what do you need to understand in this move? Well, how do we break down the moves further that you can understand why we're doing certain movements? Like if I talk about, um, like the concept that I talk about a lot in the Baron Bolo movement, for example, is the one of internal rotation in the knee that is reflected in the hip. This creates a certain amount of hip torque, which creates a tremendous amount of force that if you direct it and give a direction, especially in an arc-like fashion, depending on where your body is in relationship to your partner, this will create a lot of back exposure. It will also create a lot of hip elevation. And those two variables already mean that you can now think back to the ultimate objective of what we're trying to achieve. Whether that's, again, I'm trying to advance to a more superior position than I started. So if I started beyond the hip line, more towards the legs, I would like to proceed past the hip line, to the mount, to the back control, get somewhere where, again, now I can proceed to the finishing objective. So again, like I really liked what Chris said earlier, which is um, obviously like think about submissions lost. Someone who also told me exactly the same thing was John Danaher. Mm-hmm. He, he told me like, it isn't that hard to make submissions good, mm-hmm. but what's really difficult is having that transitional nature of understanding how to connect positions. That is the tough shit. If you have a great understanding of how to link all your positions together, no matter how limited your vocabulary might be, you're going to be able to at least move within a very nice portion of the movement platform quite seamlessly. Maybe you can't move all around your partner's body the way that you want to just yet, but you can still cycle through those moves 
very easily around that portion of the body. Um, so I, again, I always try to start off with the steps, continuing into the concepts. I try to retreat into the steps again if it doesn't seem like I've presented enough information on the first go. So I mm -hmm. think often giving too much information all at once, it's not very helpful because people focus on their own details. Mm -hmm. So it's like step by step, I try and see, okay, they've done it now, what they learn. Allow mm -hmm. them enough time to actually go through the trial and error process that I can also be the external eye in the room and see, mm -hmm. okay, they're getting this or they have this much experience doing it. Because depending on how much experience the person has in performing that move, I can also see like, okay, this is the curve of how they're going to understand the rest of it. People have already been quite seasoned in the move. When I add a detail, automatically it transformed it. Other people are still kind of getting to grips or grasping the initiation phase of it. Um, then beyond that, I talk a lot about what's the difference between drilling the move and going into the sparring situation, right? Because I think these are, it's like going from white to black almost, you know? And I think a lot of people don't understand where is the middle ground between drilling and going live. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's a group of four that thinks that specific training is the middle ground. But I think actually it's more like if we had resistance on a scale or a dial rather from low to high, mm -hmm. it's like, how do you play with that? Mm -hmm. And something that I really like to think about a lot is um, like in partner dance or in content improvisation where you have the speaker and the listener. Mm -hmm. And when someone is speaking first, like if you're trying to draw a move and someone is, uh, someone is also chat, like talking to you. So you're like kind of like, blah, 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 you're like just shouting at each other. Then you can't really listen to right. the other person or you will find it hard to try and say what you want to say because you're constantly interrupted, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm trying to learn a move, the other person's just like, oh, I'm not going to be able to perform the move. I'm not going to be able to understand it on a deeper level. I'm always going to stay with a very surface level of understanding because I'm already trying to embed all this physicality behind the move. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm only going to get the move because I'm being physical. I don't necessarily want to already inject the physical attributes so early on into the fight. I think it's important once you understand the very base level of, okay, this is the movement pathway without any resistance at all. It right. doesn't mean they're floppy because I think a lot of people also go limp noodle and that's not very helpful for us either. So trying to be very honest with your partner, I think is a very key process also in my classes and workshops it's mm -hmm. understanding how to give feedback without also being worried about the other person's feelings as funny as it sounds you know because you're helping them yeah. actually get better you know and i think it's it's quite hard depending on also which country you're in like i, I know in asia people struggle with questions mm -hmm. so much because there's just like this idea that questions are bad or that oh i should know it like I, i'm a purple bell or uh, I'm a full stride blue belt. I, I should already know this move, but I don't need to ask questions. It's bad to be wrong, but it's like, yeah. you're not necessarily wrong. This is just more like you present the question more as like, even if it's not for yourself, you're going to help everyone in the room. Right. I think it's more about 
understanding how to articulate nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. How, how I see jujitsu is how do we read each other's movements and understand what is the intention behind them, right? It's like you can grab my you can grab my collar. I have to kind of deduce like what is your intention behind that move, or do you have a specific grip, or how you move your body, how you drop levels. I, I think there's a lot that can be done with um, understanding that better through specific training. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think this is especially helpful for beginners. Mm. It goes zero to a hundred often too quick, and I think that can be demoralizing. Well, then, and then you see it. You see like two people who are who are new, who are live training, doing that thing that you're talking about, where they're basically just screaming at each other. Yeah. Rather than being like, okay, let me let this person talk a little bit. Now I'll throw some words in there. Okay, now they're talking again. Like. They don't let it be a conversation because even at the highest level, I think what you're describing is that it's a conversation. It might be a faster conversation, but it's still a conversation. Absolutely. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just two people screaming into a microphone at the same time. Like it's these like very, <laughs> like, it is faster give and take, but it, 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 it sounds like that's what you're describing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, even if we think of a scramble, right? I, I find that hard to recall situations where I've seen scrambles that were very collide you know? A scramble is almost like it's controlled chaos, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually always continuous until one person can't keep up anymore. Then it's on the floor again or some other scenario came out of it. Like if we think of a guy like Gary Turner, who's He's very explosive. He's very fast, very dynamic. He's very relentless in his movement, but it's like... Mm-hmm. it's really like as you said it's a faster conversation but mm-hmm. there isn't a collision in it like you're still able to keep talking around just at an incredibly fast rate mm-hmm. um, and i mean i also don't think that this is necessarily the right way you know this is a way that's worked for me and i understand i also have my preferences and naturally, there's some bias, no matter how much I want to say there's no bias, you know, because I, I do prefer to engage in this way, at least in grappling. So it, it's very different when I'm in striking. I'm a different sort of fighter. But like in grappling, I feel like this is very much the way that I want to engage with another person. I, I think it, there's, it's a very intelligent way of fighting, in my, in my opinion. It's very... Um, you can make it as intelligent as you want to or as like primal as you want to, you know, it's just based on preferences and how you want to play the game mm-hmm. as well. You know, there's so many different ways to play the game that like you could change it on every go if you want to test something. And I think that's a really interesting thing that I can try to do something different and make more predictions off of the different roles that I already engaged in. Again, that whole idea of like every role is data collection and it really makes you smarter as a fighter if you allow it to. What um you you spoke so you said that you kind of see yourself in like three different places. You were like oh as an athlete, as a teacher, and then as an artist. Can you te- can you talk a little bit more about the the artistry piece? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, for me, creativity is like the number one thing in my practice. It's really not about. As much as I compete, it's more like I want to be able to win on my own terms as well. And if I had to change the way that I fight to be less creative or 
to, again, like fight with moves that I don't think really express me, I won't do it. And maybe that's stupid to say because I'm a competitor and also there's a certain amount of the winning mentality in being a competitor. Um, I, I think a lot of my creativity and me wanting to be an artist is actually like I, how I see myself is that I don't see myself like in the next five years that I will be always competing at the highest level in jiu-jitsu. I wanted to actually win black belt worlds once or twice and then go into dancing, just be like, fuck it. And fully invest into uh, performance art and really seeing how I can create in that light. Mm -hmm. um, and often when I'm in jujitsu, like, if it's not like competition class, I, I'm often thinking about how I can create new moves or using pathways I already no, like how can I, how can I play with music? Or how can I? I often put a metronome in the classroom, mm -hmm. and I just play around with it and see, like, okay, what sort of footwork can I do with this metronome? Or like, how many steps can I fit in this certain frame of time? Mm -hmm. um, I think, even though it could seem like more like an engineer thing, like, I still think that's like the creative side and the more artistic side that I'm always trying to think about the map more as being a canvas and how I can create with my partner rather than like we're fighting because I see it as number one, I see it as conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. It's not actually me trying to win. I'm like trying to resolve a conflict. It's like, we're having an argument. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to console you or I'm trying to find a mid ground with you. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I still want to create something beautiful with you. So you're like my co-creator. Mm -hmm. I want this role to actually be a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this reminds me of, um, so I, I, I interviewed this guy, Gabe Polsky, who directed this film, In Search of Greatness. It's a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I haven't. You should watch it. It's great. Uh, because they interview, he interviews Pele and Wayne Gretzky and Jerry Rice, who are, you know, these like, you know, all-time great athletes of their sports. Yeah. Um, but they're all kind of talking about the same thing that you're talking about, where like, it's not a movie about athleticism. It's actually a movie about artistry because they all identify as artists. They all three of them are just like, listen, I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest, but this is how, you know, my artistry developed. This is what I, how I feel about creativity. And that was, you know, an almost like letting go of identity too. It's like, I don't need to be a specific thing like the 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 more openness to like you know um being unidentified so that they could receive a little more information i think like for me it's about it again it's on a really human level it's i'm trying to really express myself in the best way that i can i'm really not trying to fight like anyone else and even outside of jiu-jitsu i would say like i'm trying to find what's my truth and mm -hmm. I want to, in, in any space, you know, I'm trying to create or co-create a beautiful vision. Like, I, I think we have a certain amount of time in our lives, right, to live it as fully as we want to. And I think to be able to do things that we find fruitful, beautiful, however you want to spend your time, I think that's the most important part. Like, 
I think one of the things in my life that I've always wanted to do is uh, I wanted to try and experience as many different things as possible. But I think in in a more intimate light, like especially explore my artistry in as many different ways as possible, whether that would be fighting or dancing. So I never imagined that I would actually find such a great passion in mm -hmm. dancing, but especially actually Tom was like one of my main inspirations in this field. Cause like, I was like, this is different floor mm -hmm. work. This is like, why I doing Jiu Jitsu every day? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that was the first thing I was like, Oh wow. Like floor work is so interesting. Like this will definitely inform me how to move on the floor better. Cause that, that was my first, I think that was my first thought when I was trying to cross train into the more generalist practice. Like, Oh, like, let's explore movement on the floor in general. Like, let's see what else I could learn or how can I uh, move more efficiently. And then it really very fast, like I, I moved away from that very fast. And I just really have always been a very musical person too. And I realized there's so much musicality in fighting. And then all these crossovers kept coming back and forth. And then I actually realized that my personality and a lot of what I resonate with is a lot more, actually to do with dance mm -hmm. and then, so i'm 26 now i i thought okay i i still can compete at the highest level in jiu-jitsu but this is still the best time that i could do whatever i want to do and just fully invest myself into dance if i wanted to mm -hmm. and see where i go with it so High, highly transferable skills from from dancing to fighting and back and forth really i mean they're they're unbelievably similar i've always said that uh, absolutely and i i think it, it can only create a more beautiful practice <laughs> mm -hmm. well you're also you're also describing this thing that it was a kind of like a new concept to me that i just read about so i'm reading this book this new sam harris book but it's basically just like the dialogue from some of the conversations in his podcast Right. And I forget who the scientist is or the researcher that he is interviewing in this recent one that I read, but he, they were trying to like talk about like where happiness comes from, you know, cause like a lot of like his conversations evolve around like what consciousness is and like what's good or bad and what's happy or sad or whatever. Yeah. And this guy said something that I just feel like really hit the nail on the head. And I think that you're talking kind of around it in a certain way that happiness comes from creativity. Like, like when we are going through the process of problem solving and either make it to the end or not, the work of going through a creative process, you know, creativity, I think if, it, as you were going to correct me earlier and I kind of got beat you to it and I said, it's problem solving. Um, <laughs> oftentimes people think creativity, it always has to be some sort of artistic expression, but creativity, I think we both agree is just like any sort of problem solving. But if you want to like his kind of defining of happiness was going through the creative process or going through the problem solving process. And people think that they don't want to do that, that like, that's not like they want to work less, but happiness really comes from like that process. You know, there's satisfaction, there's joy that comes from like either like the, the problem solving or the learning or like the learning and then problem solving or learning and problem solving and then a creative expression whatever it is. But I think that that's kind of what you're talking about. It's like, you're kind of going to these different places and like looking for like the satisfaction that arises from like 
learning this new thing and trying to troubleshoot something new and then integrate it back into like uh, the practice that you have already going. I, that's what I hear a little bit. And maybe it's just because I'm anchored into this like idea that I've been thinking about. That's what you're describing. Absolutely. I have a lot of friends who like speak very highly of Sam. I haven't read the latest book, but I did see it in the bookshop yesterday. I almost grabbed it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I honestly think, you know, like, uh, I think human nature, like we, we naturally thrive around being very inquisitive and exploring new things. And with social beings as well, you know, I, I think, even though I think in the more traditional sense, people think social is about being with other people. I think being social can also be being engaged with a certain activity or you could be like interacting with a problem Mm -hmm. and that's still a form of being social that's just in my lens of things Mm -hmm. i I think that's also why like i enjoy problem solving i went into engineering originally Mm -hmm. because like i I really do like problem solving and i think i realized from engineering why i enjoy jujitsu so much is around that problem solving process and i i think i i think you know it actually how how i when you were talking just now about like problem solving and happiness it it just made me think about just how our bodies work in in general you know like when your brain is actively working on trying to solve those problems and stuff there's so so many hormonal processes that are going on in that moment like you know as you said they are you can derive a certain amount of like uh, happiness from solving this problem a let's call it so like you have a dopamine response here like oh you realize okay like this is really hard eventually you spend three hours on it and you finally get it i think there's a lot of gratification to get from those sort of processes or like you can also really learn more about yourself in those moments right like i think <clears throat> again not to be repetitive but being in pandemic we're able to that is a massive problem to some people and learning how to navigate it as much as initially many of us perceive that as a really bad thing i think once you understand how to navigate it there's a lot of happiness that you find after so initially i found that i wasn't happy with the situation but i'm doing really interesting things right now like on sunday i like there were things i had to navigate actually in order to make plans with my partner on Sunday. We're going to Reunion Island to go train. It's like, Mm. it's got very, very low numbers of COVID over there. There's a very good training environment over there. I would never have imagined that I would try to navigate to navigate myself and relocate myself for like the next six weeks to go over there, you know? And also like, okay, how do we make this work? Like how much is rent over there? Because there's there's so, so many variables, you know? And often I think the thing that holds most people back is that, ah, isn't that expensive or isn't like that's so hard like oh my god that's so amazing you know but those are all problems like it's too expensive like okay like so how do i have enough in order to do that like what do i have to do right now so that i can actually achieve that so i can do that right i think those are all kind of problems in the way that slowly slowly oh i do this so i can do that so i unlock that so i am able to train this you know 
Mm-hmm. I think everything's problem solving. You know, there's not one part of our lives that even choosing what to eat is mm-hmm. actually problem solving in a way. You know, right, right, and like breaking from monotony like opens the opportunity for more problems to solve. So I think like you know, like when I read this thing, it was like you know, I always people always talk about like oh you know, you know, living like a satisfying life is a life of you know that has purpose, and I would be like well with what he said, it makes more sense to kind of like take purpose out and, and put in like problem solving and creativity to like replace that. Cause it may, I, that makes more sense to me. I honestly think like when people get bored (laughs) Mm -hmm. or they think something's monotonous, like I think there's a huge reluctance, like even with this whole situation of COVID that, people feel very stuck, but it's also a certain amount of reluctance to want to problem solve more. Right. Right. There's a reluctance to like get uncomfortable. Like let's go into like a world that's a little more unfamiliar. Yeah. Cause like I'm extremely fucking uncomfortable. (laughs) Like the, the last, uh, the last three months have been really crazy. I've been like somewhat different, like every six weeks or so, cause I'm not trying to like uproot too often, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I, I don't really know when I can truly be a competitor properly again. So it's like, I'm just embracing change. Uh, right. I'm just trying to live by my values as much as possible in this time. Right. Rather than just, solving. right. Rather than just hitting pause and being like, well, I'll just get back to like what was happening before you're like, Oh yeah. Well, like, okay, yeah. well, if this is how it is, then like, I'm going to do all the other things. Absolutely. Like my first focus during lockdown was actually house dance. Like mm-hmm. I kind of stopped doing jujitsu for a little while and I just started thinking about like, okay, like there's so much, there's so much for work in house dance. When we think about jujitsu, there's so much footwork, but very few people talk about footwork in passing, mm-hmm. you know, like it's very common in judo because it seems more obvious because you need to use the footwork to unlock the throws. Mm-hmm. But the footwork is the formula for also passing guards, and people think it's all oh, okay that you have to move into this space, but that's very non specific for me. Mm-hmm. But in house dance, there's so many different foot positions mm-hmm. and so many ways you can move your torso in relationship to your legs that also creates a certain efficiency in the weight transfer and the weight shift that will also unlock your ability to pass people's guards with more ease. So I started. I, I didn't try and apply it straight away because I think like if you think too fast about how to transfer it across, it, it's almost that over eagerness, like it, it's too shallow. I just allow myself to completely immerse into oh, that's, house. That's, that is such a big problem where people want to know exactly how I thought now, how do I transfer? Yeah, it? tell me how this how is gonna transfer. transfer. Yeah, how do I transfer this? Show me how it's and it's like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like Yeah, the better the better you can organize your body over tops of your feet, the better it's gonna work in all the scenarios. (laughs) Like the the more information you have about like organizing over your feet, the better. All right, Kyle, just one second. There you go. So yeah, I I I think that that's that's a that is an important skill but more importantly the the idea of like just immersing yourself rather than being like you know show me the moment where this is going to transfer so that i will invest in it absolutely i think it's it's almost short-sighted to want to 
make it applicable straight away because there's almost that reluctance to really get engaged in the process. Mm -hmm. I, I think like to really get deep into anything, you need to be okay where maybe there is no transferability at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but to even have the thought that, okay, it's definitely transferable. It's cool if it's transferable. Like that should be like a byproduct. If, if you can find something that will really help you in your other practice or maybe it's your main practice, that's cool. But then I, I think that shouldn't be the driving factor that you partake in another practice because like, okay, this is going to make me better at this. Maybe like strength and conditioning, I can get it a little bit more. You're, you're like kind of going into a place that I've like thought a little bit about is this idea of like physical strength. Like, you know, like you said, like strength and conditioning, but like the idea of physically getting strong yeah. gives this illusion of control. And I think that's why people gravitate like, oh, like I'll be strong. And it, 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 it's a trick a little bit. Like, it's not that it's not doing something like, yeah, you're strong and your joints might be a little more bulletproof and all these things. But like, you're, you're often like tricking yourself into thinking that you have a little more control than you actually do, because there are some skills that might be a little stronger, even though you don't look physically strong or feel physically strong, you know, like the idea of being able to move between like full and empty and like hard and soft and footwork and these things. And and weight transfer um, that are a little bit more mysterious, right? It's like you can't look in the mirror and see that thing in the same way. Um, and it almost speaks broader to like really broad illusion of control in life, but I won't go there. But <laughs> but I, re I really do believe that, that, that it's this very like alluring thing to be like, I'm going to be physically strong because you're going to have the illusion of being in more control than you actually are. And I can tell you at the moment I felt it when I first started doing jujitsu where I'm like, I'm probably stronger than everybody I'm rolling with, but I feel like the weakest person in this room. So you're like, well, what is strength and what is control then? I, I think there's like, again, like going back to this idea of like physical attributes, like I, I think physicality or having a certain amount of um, physical strength is in important but it's not like the defining factor right like as you said it can give you a illusion of control and i think you, we often see it even in high level jiu-jitsu you know like a lot of guys get stronger but i think it, it's more like it's more like to make a level playing field that most of like especially high level male competitors they all have a certain level of strength right so like you don't want to make that your weak point but once that's level playing field, what comes into play is the technical capacity. Like if we look like a, at a guy like Gordon Ryan, he was immensely strong physically, but his technical level is just so much higher than everybody else that it really makes a difference. But if you have, if the only thing was the physical strength, I think it's a completely different story. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've, I was also in powerlifting prior to jujitsu, so um, I felt very physically strong, although I didn't really look it, I have to say. <laughs> but it didn't really, I don't, I couldn't see where it helped me in my jujitsu, really. I, I struggled to actually see the transferability, and I thought it would be a lot more transferable than it actually was. Like, mm -hmm. I, it was more 
of me having to learn other things like, okay, like uh, doing isometrics and just trying to understand more about like, what sort of strength do I need, right? That actually does make it more transferable and not that just being strong itself was that I can have the best amount of control. But it is tempting, right? Like I can, you can see how it's like, it's, it's like alluring to people. They're like, oh, well, like if I, I don't know, if I look and I feel physically <laughs> strong, then like I'm in control of what's happening. And you're just like, no. I think I, I always really wanted to be a technician though. So mm -hmm. I, I always just wanted to be the most technical person in the room. And mm -hmm. I think something I struggle with is actually using my full strength when I spar with people now. Mm -hmm. that I'm just so used to also rolling with smaller people that mm -hmm. I almost like in my head, it's as if I was playing a video game. It's almost like I withdrew the stat for strength <laughs> that I'm just trying to really flow with movement. That it's almost more like I'm dancing around someone really. Mm -hmm. I think I really took that from the house dance recently, but um, where was I? Um, we're redefining strength. That's where we're at redefining strength yeah <laughs> um i don't know, like i i think ah yes like more so like even if we think about acrobatics right like i think having a certain amount of physical capacity definitely helps but it's like understanding the movement to its fullest again thinking about how do we deconstruct a certain pathway a certain sequence we can really understand certain uh, laws of physics, for example, or like what is, what, what sort of timing is required for me to execute this move by just understanding weight transfer and weight shift really well, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than like exerting a tremendous amount of force into the ground so that I'm actually going to make it on the other side or like using a lot more leg drive than I actually need to. I, I think really understanding unlocks a lot of our technical capacity that reduces the necessity for us to need so much strength. Mm -hmm. I, I think again, like it's not to say that we don't need strength, but I think it's a really important component of anybody's movement practice. Cause if we had no strength completely, I think it's also very detrimental to our right. movement practice. I'm just curious that it, that it, it, it's, it's developed this like, it's become like overvalued and like over centralized when there are these tools strength. that strength. Yeah. When there are some more like transferable tools that, that deserve some more, some more time. Absolutely. I think it's again, like it's more the societal view that I need results now. And this is the quickest way to gain it. Cause like everybody, I think it's easy for someone who doesn't really lift a lot to go to the gym. They don't even know what they're doing that well and actually to get some decent strength gains, right? Because like, mm -hmm. I think when I first entered the gym, I wasn't that knowledgeable, you know? There's still like learning curve, like, okay, I should do this. This is more efficient or this will uh, be more beneficial or productive for me. Mm -hmm. I definitely saw some very like short-term gains very fast and I can see how it's very glamorous to many people. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I also teach knowing that many people are wired like that. That's why like, I, I think like this is a little bit of a tangent, but like mo so many jujitsu classes, the first class you go to, you get 
taught a closed guard armbar. I think that's that's so stupid. It, just a personal opinion, but I think that's so stupid because it's. I understand there's sex appeal in showing that move first because like the person who leaves the class like, oh my god, guess what I learned today? I learned armbar, you know, and they have something to actually show from the session rather than like if you do something that's a little bit not so sexy like oh i learned the movement objectives of what to do in jiu-jitsu today and you actually kind of know how to pass guard because you can't really show your friends mm-hmm. like if you go to dinner with a friend after work right. or something and you right. show them how to pass guard they're like oh what are you doing you're just walking around me. <laughs> right. right or if you're just like oh they just told me to like try to hold somebody down for two minutes yeah, like, that. oh, you're doing that wrestling thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can't show that at the bar after. But I, I think that's, I mean, you must have encountered it a lot too in um, the movie. Yeah, films. I mean, like, it's like, you know, people want to learn how to do, like, a handstand or a muscle-up or something and think that that's, like, what it is when, you know, you're describing something similar to this idea of people wanting to learn a movement or a couple movements. They don't want to learn movement. It's like they want to learn a jujitsu technique or a couple jujitsu techniques. They don't necessarily want to learn the art of jujitsu. You know, it's the same way with like guitar. Like I could learn how to like play the scales. doesn't mean I can play guitar. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Yeah. But it's the same idea. It's like, you know, like planting in techniques rather than it being like the broad practice or the, or the art itself. Are you doing any teaching online or anything? Um, right now I'm doing like some online coaching. I've actually been really focused on like developing instructionals mm-hmm. at the moment. Like uh, I spent like a good two weeks like filming at least like uh, 10, 12 hours of content. Wow. On the, yeah, on, um, the topic was a double guard ball. So when both players are like in the seated position, like mm. pretty much trying to explore that as I was trying to make it a little bit of its own movement platform. So I think when you try to limit the game just to the double guard ball, there's a lot of ground to touch. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you give a lot of variability, I think there's too much room for like, oh, I can easily transition into this position. Why would I bother to understand this position more deeply? Mm-hmm. I think because I've spent a lot of time on the ground, like especially as a guard player, like I was really passionate about this project of uh, trying to film that. But yeah, like I, I've been doing online coaching for a while, even pre-pandemic. Um, just like more so now, I really transitioned to it because it's the only only way for now. Um, but yeah, it's all available on my website, thenomadicid.com. Like I have, I have like I'm even doing like online workshops and stuff too. But just like it's all very customizable. So I, I'm really curious more so about like. Uh, long-term sort of relationships too like how do people want to build a dialogue of what are their long-term goals as opposed to like okay I'm just trying to learn this move mm-hmm. right like again more that idea of like trying to build relationships as well like I think that's something really important to me as a teacher not just like very transactional mm-hmm. but I, I really feel quite invested into people's progress and into I, I would say the art of learning itself you know they have teaching people how to learn so they no longer need me, that would be like my greatest success. Like I, I don't necessarily want to hold people's hands forever, you know? Like right. I, I think independent students is what I would think is like one of the greatest accomplishments a, a teacher can have. Or even by vice versa, like uh, 
I'm the teacher now, you're the student now, but one day that will change. Yeah, what's the, what's the, what's the quote, something about like, teacher man to fish, the, the, what is it? I forget what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's the approach. So, so if people yeah. want to do that, they can, um, they can go to your website. Yeah, they can go to my website. They can also like hit up uh, my Instagram, The Nomadic Mars. Like I, I pretty much post everything that I have available on the website on there. Okay. Uh, but the only difference with Instagram is that I talk about my YouTube channel that I started a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So there's like free content there for people to access in there as well. Awesome. Well, I'm going to check it out. And I'm also going to make sure that we, <laughs> we land into the same part of the world at the same time at some point. Absolutely. We'll, so, I'll so, make it think to come to Boulder. Yeah, that would be amazing. But I would, you know, I'd also love to make it to Europe at some point to like wherever you happen to be and, uh, and, and, and practice a little bit because I think it would be a really good time. Yeah, for sure. Like, it would be amazing exchange. Like, I think we have a lot of really cool ideas to share with each other. Yeah, well, I was so bummed because I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic when I when you were in Brooklyn and you thought I might still be in Brooklyn. And we yeah, were, yeah, yeah. And you wanted to like, like maybe oh, be like, oh, have, yeah, have somebody to like do jujitsu with. And like you sent me the message. I was like, oh, I'm gone. Um, it's all right, though. At some point, you'll have, when you come to Boulder, you're going to have to do some sort of um, six-week stay so that we can like you know practice for a I while. had a friend like i almost made it to colorado actually because like a couple of months ago like um i i don't i don't remember which exact which part they are exactly i think like denver but like close enough <laughs> very close it's only like 30 <laughs> minutes gonna, away oh uh, cool yeah no i was gonna like stay like six weeks or something but like we'll make make something happen plan for the spring come and we'll do like six weeks and we'll do like we'll do like a.m and p.m sessions we'll like do jujitsu in the morning and we'll do some like movement practice in the afternoon i'll be dope down i'm so i'm so happy we made this happen it means a lot to me that you made the time no absolutely i was very excited to have this conversation too i'm sorry robert that i had to put it off already <laughs> That's okay. well i feel like we have we have more to have i feel like it doesn't need to be recorded in the future we can hop on in uh and chat again soon. <laughs> no, it feels very natural Kyle. it doesn't feel like it's recorded <laughs> i know I, I i feel i feel like we've known each other for a long time it was so funny the moment yeah, like you yeah. logged on i was like oh we've done this before and then i'm like wait we've never chatted before <laughs> yeah it's fantastic well have a good day and um um, I'll email you in the coming days, but then yeah, let's stay in touch. Seriously, let's uh, let's hop on and we'll Absolutely. we'll do some chat. Yeah. Awesome. Take I'll see you later. Bye.